zero to five million is very realistic in five years with this type of business. It's a no brainer and it's the least risky model if you wanted to build an audience first. Now, granted, it does take some time, but if you look at the amount of failure in traditional businesses, product first businesses, what if you went out and build the audience first? And then once you understand the needs and wants and desires of that audience, then you can launch all sorts of products and services. We stand today. The business method the business with method. a shadow. The business method. The business method podcast. The business method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring high-performing entrepreneurs and high-caliber people dissecting their different methods, tools, and strategies so we can apply them to our businesses and lives. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built seven-figure businesses that can be ran anywhere in the world. And currently, we are interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business, affect income, results, economies, and cultures, especially post-COVID. Since we moved into a post-pandemic world, the landscape has changed drastically for most business owners. We're finding out what is working for the entrepreneurs out there that have positioned themselves well to make sure their businesses thrive, succeed, and continue to experience growth in this current economy. And now... Let's hop into today's show. The Business Method. Hey, gals and pals, listen up real quick because we have something exciting to share with you. First, for you high-performing entrepreneurs out there, we've taken the most powerful tips and tricks from over 400 episodes that our guests have shared on how to optimize their own personal performance, and we've made them into digestible micro-podcast episodes that are just two to eight minutes long. These high-performance episodes are being published on Monday and Friday each week and will be labeled as HP number 1234567891010 and so on. Those episodes are live now and they're designed for you to consume some quick, high-quality content when you only have a few minutes to spare. So be sure to subscribe to the Business Method podcast on your favorite app so you can get those delivered to you as soon as they are live. The next thing I wanted to share with you is about our private mastermind community for established entrepreneurs. If you have an established business that has good momentum and wanted to be involved in a higher level mastermind community that is curated specifically for entrepreneurs that are moving at the same speed as you with similar challenges, revenue, team size, and business niche, then we've got a group for you. Our private mastermind groups are facilitated by myself, yours truly, and my good friend Adam Anderson. Adam is a seasoned entrepreneur who's been involved in 20 plus startups over 20 years and recently had a multi-million dollar exit. I keep the members on track with their goals, productivity, and optimization, and Adam brings the vast business knowledge to the groups. Our purpose with this private community is to help you reach your business goals faster so you can remove yourself from your company and focus on bigger and better things. You can learn more you can learn more about those masterminds at thebusinessmethod.com forward slash mastermind. That's thebusinessmethod.com forward slash mastermind. And now let's hop into today's episode. The Business Method. Today, my amazing listeners, I'm thrilled to welcome back to the podcast, Joe Paluzzi. It's not often we have guests back on the show, so that might be a premonition to everyone out there. 
how much I like today's guest. Joe was on our podcast back in 2017. Joe's episode was very memorable for me because of the insight that Joe laid out for content-focused businesses. And to me, his message made so much sense. There were a few points that Joe explained that really helped me along to continue to build this podcast. One was that you can't always monetize your passion. We have seen a lot of businesses fail due to people trying to monetize their passions. Some of them have actually been on the podcast in the early days, and it has led to a lot of heartbreak, wasted time, and mounds of debt. The second point that Joe made was that media channels are the original content marketing businesses for over 200 years before content marketing was even a thing. They build a massive audience, sell the audience what they want, and then they diversify. Joe started Content Marketing Institute in 2007. Over the years, he built an incredibly successful business around content marketing, helping entrepreneurs all around the world. Eventually, their live event became the largest event in the world for content marketing, and Joe sold his company for $30 million. Joe then unofficially retired, became a novelist, and focused on his nonprofit. Then COVID hit in early 2020. People started reaching out to him uh, for help to start content-based businesses, most likely due to the fact that so many people were out of work, staying at home, and had little to do. He noticed a spike in his book sales that he published back in 2016. He also noticed a lot more momentum on his podcast that, that had been stagnant for a few years. People were looking for a solution, so Joe put his mystery novel away and released a new version of his book, Content Inc. He started a new newsletter, fired up the podcast, and he's back in business. Today, we're going to dissect that book, and let me be the first to tell you, it's a darn good book to dissect for what is happening in the online world and global economy today. Joe, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Chris, I'm doing fantastic. It's like this is your life in the last five years. You just you just went through. So I'm like, exactly. oh, yeah, I did do that because of that. And I did did do a sabbatical and all that good stuff. But it's good we seeing you again. Thanks for having me back. It feels yes. like this is this is a big thing that you're having me back. So yes. Thank you for the uh the secondary request on that. So absolutely looking forward yeah. to digging into to wherever you want to go. It was a very memorable podcast. When I had it on the show, it was a couple hundred episodes in. And it was the first time that I had talked and talked with anyone or really dug into the content model. And it kind of goes without showing that I think even entrepreneur a lot of entrepreneurs out there still think today that business models come from getting an idea, building a product and service around that idea, yep. and then launching it to the world, which this is kind of like the content model um, is it marketing model is like, no, build the audience first and then start selling them stuff, which I love. Absolutely. Love. Well, I think, you know, it's, it's crazy. We talked about this last time. I think that it's a no brainer and it's the least risky model if you wanted to build an audience first. Now, granted, it does take some time, but if you look at the amount of failure in traditional businesses, product first businesses, we hear mm -hmm. about all the, you know, the unicorns and the billion dollar businesses, but those are less than 1% of 1%. You know, yeah. most of the, most of the ones that are not successful, it's because they are doing it. They very traditional model, which is nothing wrong with it. But we were like, hey, there's got to be a better way. What if you went out and build the audience first? So you're building a pre-customer database is what you're doing. Yep, and then once you understand the needs and wants and desires of that audience, then and basically just listen to what that audience needs, then you can launch all sorts of products and services. That's what we talk about in the Continent book. And that's what I think is just, I think that's the new model that we're going to start seeing more and more, whatever they end up calling it, just because you have more and more people that only need a smartphone to do business today. And yeah. they can create content on a consistent basis, build an audience, and then 
we'll see all these new businesses. So maybe we are in the golden age of entrepreneurship. When people ask me about content marketing business models, I often describe it as, um, as an entrepreneur, if you build a model like this, you're, you're, you're creating an insurance policy around what you're building, your time that you're spending into this. Uh, because the insurance here is that, you know, say you build a model on a business and then you sell that business or you move on to another one, you still have that personal brand and mm -hmm. audience that want to follow you, the raving fans that are out there. And because of that, you're not just selling like, oh, you know, I built a, this this product or productized service or service, it's gone, and then there's still no personal brand yep. around you. People, there's no audience there. And is it for somebody, for entrepreneurs that invest their time, so much time and energy into what they build, it's important to have that because then you're protected when you go to a bit, when you go to the next thing, you can say, hey, raving fans, just come along with me. Now I'm doing this thing. Yep. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, you know, Chris or Joe's doing this thing. I want to do what, what Chris and Joe are doing. And uh, then you can monetize that, right? Well, I mean, if you look at it, I mean, you know, some of my mentors, they work this way where they'll be, they'll give out amazing information over and over and over and over again. And that information is hopefully used by somebody and they leverage it. We're doing the same thing, but we're memorializing it on podcasts, on mm -hmm. webinars, on uh, email newsletters, on blogs, TikTok, whatever the case is. And then each time you do that, you're building a little piece of an asset. Yeah. Over so if you do it for a long enough period of time, you're right. You have built this asset that then you can monetize forever and ever and ever. And I think it's the flexibility that you have. And maybe it's, you know, we just did a research study at the tilt where we found out that the, the big driver is not, I want to create content. It's independence. Mm -hmm. It's freedom. Yeah. It's flexibility of hours. Yeah. So because you've built this asset that you can now leverage many different ways, many different monetization paths, many different business models, it's look at, it's just a better life in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, who, who doesn't want to call their own shots work whenever they want to be able to spend time with my kids. I mean, that's kind of the biggest thing for me in the last so I was in a corporate gig from when I got out of college, I got my master's degree all the way up to 2007. I couldn't call my own shots. If I had to go on, on a travel gig, I had to do that. Uh, my kids were very young. I didn't, wasn't able to spend a lot of time because I was on the road 35, 40% of the time. It's a lot of time to spend on the road and not see your, your kids grow up. And then you start a business. I was working twice as hard in this content business, but I never missed a thing. Yeah, because nice. I could say I'm going to, you know, if I have to work from 12 to four in the morning, that's what you do. But I freed up the day so that I could go to daddy donut day, uh -huh. uh, whatever uh -huh. the case is. So that's I think a lot of people forget that we you talked about, you know, whether you call it the passion economy, the creator economy, you get this idea, whatever. I don't think a lot of people are talking about that. This is, I think, the way that work was supposed to be. Yeah. And we forgot when we got into the whole nine to five industrialized age that, oh, you know, we got to go get a job. Yeah. I think we're finally coming back to that as my, as my kids now enter college, which is they're both going to college away from home for the first time there. I want them to go to college for a new experience. I want mm -hmm. them to go break things and get into trouble and mature and whatever the case is. But if, if they were just going to, for the next step of their career, it's probably not the best decision. 
that's if that's why they were doing it. But yeah. I want them to go just to go and get out and actually be around people that they haven't been around for 18 months because of this pandemic thing. So that's a that's a whole different thing. Yeah. And and I think what we we forget as entrepreneurs, too, is a lot of a lot of us started businesses so we could have more freedom. It wasn't like, oh, I want to start a business so I have less freedom. That's never the thought process. It's like, I want more time freedom. I want more money to do the things that I want to do. Um, and I want something that fulfills me. And then what so often happens is we we build a business model that traps us and, and we're just in another job. That's and, right. and, and so I know people that have eight-figure companies that are absolutely mentally exhausted, pulling 60 plus hours per week. They're, they're bogged down in the tasky things of their companies and they just, it's driving them crazy. And, and we have to have the discussion often. It's like, did you build a business to be more stressed out? And the answer is no. And then, so you have to stop doing the things that stress you yes. out no matter what it takes. And it's not always about making more money. It's about building the business model that works well for you, which again, yeah. uh, why a content marketing business model is so great. Um, before we dive in more to things, Joe, as I started prepping for the podcast, I realized that kind of no surprise probably to you that there was too much content out there about you and then what you've done and then what we've talked about in the past in content marketing for just one show. Um, so I kind of simplified it most as most as possible, as best as possible. Um, so we're going to dissect your book and I recommend everybody checking this out. It's a really good book and it simplifies the content marketing model. It's called Content Inc., completely updated and expanded from the second edition and uh, very current. Joe wrote this in 2020 after COVID hit. And um, the tagline here is start a content first based business, build a massive audience and become radically successful with little or no money. And you can absolutely do that. We see influencers and athletes and entrepreneurs doing that all the time nowadays with social media. Um, and also guys, we interviewed Joe back in 2017, as mentioned earlier, that episode is episode 469. We actually republished it last year when COVID hit, cause I thought it would be great, uh, great information for people during COVID, um, and lockdowns to check out. So, uh, that's 469. I recommend checking that out. And, um, so tell us Joe, why, why you retired, you sold your company for $30 million. Uh, you were writing mystery novels. You were you know, living the dream by uh, working on your nonprofit, spending all the time you could with your family. And then all of a sudden, uh, you decided to come back into the, the entrepreneurial world and re-update or update your book. Why did you do it? Oh, geez. It, it's it's funny how things work out it's it was march the first week of march 2020 when the will to die my mystery novel was launched we had mm -hmm. a big launch party at a bookstore <laughs> it's great timing yeah this so this was right right before everything locked down i'm in cleveland ohio so probably two weeks later you know ohio was was locked down and i'm like okay this is interesting and i actually at the time was working on the second version the the what is going to be part two to the will to die and uh, like you mentioned in the in the preview here, I started just seeing some of the activity that was going. I was getting emails from people that were losing their jobs, have lost their jobs about, hey, Joe, tell me about this content first business. Is the Content Inc. book still uh, relevant? I know you wrote it in 2015 and I was walking through the model and I'm like, OK, that's weird. And I just started tinkering around. I looked at the book sales of the first edition. I'm like, OK. 
book sales are going up. And I checked with the publisher. I'm like, are you doing any promotions around this? Like what's going on? And I was like, no, we're not doing anything. And then I checked the podcast numbers from the content Inc. podcast, which I hadn't produced since the end of 2017. Uh-huh. And those were going up and I'm like, okay, this is weird. So I just started it, it, to look it at it. It is everything. extra weird because most podcasts, most people don't know this, most podcasts uh, had a significant decline. And ours was like up to 40% um, when COVID hit because nobody yeah. nobody was driving to and from work where most podcasts are, are consumed. So, yeah, please continue. Yeah, I, I, you know, people just started searching for, and I think that it was this flood of uncertainty. I think you had a lot of people losing their jobs. I think you also had a lot of people rethinking what was important to them. Yeah. Like this is now the time that I can do this thing. I'm working from home. I had a friend of mine who had been a teacher forever, but then was forced to work at home and then realized, I really like this work from home thing. I don't think I want to go back into the office uh-huh. and teach in person. So maybe I can do some things anyways. Uh, and so I said, okay, well, maybe there's something out here. I checked with uh, McGraw Hill, my publisher. I said, let's redo the book redid the book, did all the case studies, started interviewing it, wanted to figure out if any changes happened to the content model. We updated a little bit. It's a seven-step model. The one thing, and you brought this up a little bit before that I added in, was more about the exit strategy, which is so mm-hmm. important because you, you know, when somebody decides to go into a content-first business, you should know from the start how you want it to end. A lot of people don't think that way, Yeah, but they just start, oh, I'm going to do a blog or I'm going to do this TikTok thing. And I think I can make it. I'm going to be a gamer. I'm going to do this corporate gig. You should know going in and it can always change, but you should know what the exit is. Mm -hmm. What do you want out of that? What should the outcome be? So like, for example, you said we sold the business. Great. In 2008, and I talk about this in the book, I wrote down my wife and I sell our business uh, by 2015 for more than $15 million. Nice. And I read that every day, most mostly twice a day in the morning and in the evening. Mm-hmm. So that every that I would be very strategic about the decisions that we made because that was the overall goal. So oh, great, it, it worked out well for us and I'm a big uh, fan of visualization. So that's the way that we went forward. But anyways, went through the book, did the whole thing, launched a content ink book again, relaunched the content ink podcast, started a new business called The Tilt, which is basically a two-time email newsletter for content creators so they can figure out how to be content entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. It's a very different thing between a creator and an entrepreneur. So how do you build a business out of this content creation thing? And yeah, here I am doing it all over again. (laughs) Uh, I'm sort of on, you know, on my terms, it's, I'm not working at full time. I still do Orange Effect Foundation. We actually just had our our big uh, fundraising event yesterday. It's Uh for speech therapy for mostly kids on the autism spectrum. So we do all those types of things, but there's, there's so much talk out there, Chris, about how do you create the content and how do you build an audience, but nobody's talking about a business model. How do you actually strategically build a business model so that you can have a successful exit, whatever that is, uh-huh. lifestyle business, sell it. We have, I have a couple really good friends that have built multi-million dollar operations just, and they want to keep going uh-huh. every year. They're happy. They're very profitable. They're living wherever they want to live. And so that's great. Uh, we, you know, my wife and I wanted an exit. Uh, with Content Marketing Institute. So that's what we did. So so very figure out along the way, how do you make this thing work? And I believe from start to finish, if you do it the right way, if you're really thoughtful about the decisions you make and the niche that you choose from a content standpoint, and you focus on um, owned assets like email, 
and you focus on diversification of revenue, I feel that within five years, you can have a multi-million dollar business. Mm. And, um, and so that's and not, not without a lot of hard work. It is, <laughs> but I believe anyone can do this. And I love your point about passion. You know, don't, passion can be great, but you got to be good at it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so don't necessarily pick the, oh, I'm so passionate about this. Well, are, are you good? Do you have, are you have skill? Can you be the leading expert in that informational niche? Think about those. Those are more important where I'll tell, you know, my, my, my son's really good at, at gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I mean, I'm sorry, he's really passionate about gaming, but is he really good at gaming? That's, mm-hmm. that's the question I want to know because right. maybe that's something you just do as a hobby and not as a business. Right. Absolutely. Makes sense. So, so let's dissect it. And, and there's basically seven steps to building a content first business. And I love it. You have the content wheel. And then if I can pull it up here just to get an image for those that are watching on video there, there's the content wheel you guys. And, um, it just, it's just so simple when you put it like this, Joe. So the first, do you want to, yeah, you want me to just go, go through the model and then we, you can pick apart whichever you want. Does that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's do it. So the, the first two steps, the sweet spot and the content tilt, that's your strategy. So before okay. we start creating any content at all, we have to figure out what the heck are we going to talk about and who are we going to target and why are we doing this in the right. first place? So the sweet spot is that intersection section between what your audience's desire is. So you have to figure out who's the who, who are you talking to, what's your audience, what are the pain points, what keeps them up at night? And on the other side, what's your expertise area? What's mm-hmm. your skill or knowledge that is over and above what anybody else can do? What can you be a leading expert in the world at? That intersection becomes your content idea, right? For us, it was content marketing. Um, for a lot of people, it might be you know, you know manufacturing widgets, whatever mm-hmm. it is, you're gonna talk about that area. Now, most people stop there and they start creating a lot of content. They'll do an email newsletter or they'll do something on Instagram or they'll do a podcast, whatever. But you're not necessarily any more differentiated than anyone else in that industry. So you have to take it to the next step, which is probably the most important. I talk about it all the time. It's the content tilt. Mm -hmm. It's that area of differentiation, your hook that you can actually break through all the clutter that's out there. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. Let's say... Let's say you picked cloud computing, okay. hot topic. You're going to go into that and you're going to be a leading expert on cloud computing and business to business. Well, go type in cloud computing into your local search engine and find out who's in that area and what they're doing. You'll find Amazon and Salesforce and Oracle and IBM all the way down the list doing lots of content, uh-huh. sinking millions of dollars into that area. And, and by the way, doing it pretty much the same. They're not even differentiating against each other. How are you with a minimal budget, not millions of dollars, going to break through all that clutter? Oh, that would be tough. Right. So we've really got to break it down. You've got to figure out, okay, how do I make my audience uh, so niche? that I can really be the leading informational expert to that audience. Or maybe Mm. you create a category. Maybe there's something called uh, cloud computing and AI that nobody's talked about or cloud computing and NFTs that nobody's focused on yet, Mm -hmm. where you can have the lead and you can figure that out and talk about it differently than everyone else. Maybe there's nobody doing anything on Twitch. So maybe you differentiate by platform. Maybe everyone's doing a podcast or a blog. 
-hmm. So those are ways to differentiate and figure out what your content tilt is. For us at Content Marketing Institute, we actually tried to create a category. We called it, nobody was using content marketing as a term in 2007. Yeah, We called it content marketing. It was called custom publishing and branded content and custom media, but there was no solidified term. We said, look, if we focus a lot of energy on this term, we believe this is the term. We have the data that tells us this should be, could be the term. And then three years later, it was the term. And then when everyone started searching for it, it just all went into our lap. And then we launched the event and everything took place from there. So, so quick question. Um, would it be unwise, Joe, or are there any circumstances where, you know, say there's, there's some company already out there that has two, two things that you're, um, to two things you're really passionate about, two things that are very unique, but there's already one or two people already out there using those two things, like sure. say backpacking and hiking uh, or van life. Uh, and backpacking is one example you used in the book. Yep. Um, is it okay to, if you really love that business, you're really passionate about that business uh, and that idea, is it okay um, to follow that, that lead or are you just gonna nail yourself and coughing early and um yep. you're just kicking a dead horse already. the answer the answer is maybe yeah uh so i would make your you know make your list there's you know it's great if you're good at and passionate about the same thing mm -hmm. so let's let's take your example uh you know van life which we talk about in the book there's a couple backpackers in the book that we talk talk about they both have specific expertise like Kristen mm -hmm. Bohr, who you know she was one of the first ones that got into the van life scene she helped coin that term so okay. she was first mover advantage it helped her um if we talk at first section hiker.com they talked about hiking in a specific area of the united states became right. the experts in that so if you look at those types of things say okay i want to talk about van life well okay let's take it an extra notch let's let's see if we can niche this thing to death and see if there's an opportunity so maybe you're talking about van life but you're you're using a different vehicle to do that Maybe that's a whole new thing. Maybe it's a different part of the country. Maybe it's long haul van life. I don't know what the different areas are, but go ahead and and I would use Google Trends. Mm -hmm. I would use Google as your friend, type in van life and see what the other searches are after that. Uh, go to Trends and see what some of the emergency, emerging terms are. Maybe there's something that you be, can become the expert in. Mm -hmm. But again, it's not just about your topical area. It could be, maybe you're talking about van life for disabled veterans. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's something that's really niche because I do believe in Kevin Kelly's thousand true fans. Yeah. You can find those core hundred. I mean, really you start with 50, a hundred people that really believe and follow you and they're, and become loyal to your content. They will help take you to the next level. Yeah. So figure out what that is. I've never to this day. So I've worked on Chris thousands of projects with entrepreneurs mm -hmm. in almost all these areas. And I've never found one that was too niche. Yeah. It's usually the other way. It's like yeah. usually you're too broad. Yeah. So, so there's lots of different ways to find that content tilt and platforms. Another one, um, my son follows a political commentary, a comment, uh, commentary, uh, an analyst called Hassan. I don't know if you've heard of Hassan. He's very, very popular okay. on Twitch. He was the first one that took, the political game from uh, television, from media, from podcasts into Twitch. Yeah. There was Twitch was only gamers. 
Yeah. So he went onto this new platform and he totally dominated. Oh, nice. So there, there's something about that. And there's all kinds of new platforms. You could do something different on Clubhouse. You could do something different that hasn't been done on Reddit. So the thing is, is you just can't do You can follow the same business model, but you can't do it the same way. Yeah. So in some way, you have to find whatever that hook is. And every good storyline has a hook. Yeah. So what is your hook? And be thoughtful about about strategically figuring that out. Let's go through some other examples that I thought were really good. People that also have created personal brands around this. Wealth and Happiness from Naval Ravikant. You mentioned in the book Collectibles and Cryptocurrency, which turned into non-fungible tokens, which is hot these days. One that I would never think about, hockey players who wanted to become entrepreneurs or became entrepreneurs. And that's on the Top Cheddar podcast. And then that's right. They're doing a great yeah. job. There. Like who would who would have known? No, I'm, and I, that these are things. Yeah, I know. And uh, then marketing and simplicity with Seth Godin. And I love Seth Godin stuff. Like it is very sim- simple and clear what he describes. Anything else at the top of your mind? Uh, any other combinations that that are really good? There's there's so many. I mean, we mm-hmm. talk about and I love Ann Reardon's case study. We we talk about that in the book, how to cook that. Uh, I mean, how many uh, food video series are there on mm-hmm. the web? There's millions probably from different people creating some form. What, what she figured out, this was early in 2011, 2012, she focused on almost impossible dessert rep- recipes. Like how do I create a five pound Snickers bar or how do I create a, <laughs> like a, a Fanta bottle layer cake? So it looks like a real Fanta bottle and you open it up and it's a layer cake mm-hmm. of all these layers. Mm-hmm. So she found an audience that really liked these complex dessert recipes. So while everyone was focused on, oh, let's go this this healthy recipe here or how to, how do I make the salad? And they do some stuff with the video. She said, I am, I know this stuff better than anyone else, so I can learn it. I'm going to go through all these amazing different desserts that when people see it, they say, well, how did she do that? Mm-hmm. So those, there's all sorts of ways to go. But the thing is, you just have to commit to it. Then. Yeah. Like for, you know, we're doing our own thing with the tilt and our, you know, you might say, okay, Joe, you're, you're launching this thing again with the tilt. What's your content tilt area? And yeah. ours is really going to focus on this idea called the content entrepreneur. No, everybody's talking about passion economy. Everybody's talking about creator economy. I feel that the driving force of the creator economy is this thing called the content entrepreneur, yeah. not the content creator. Yeah. Just like content marketing, marketing, we're creating, we're trying to create a term and we're trying to create a market. I think that we'll do that. It takes a couple of years. So you have to be patient, mm-hmm. but already we're seeing some search trashing around that. We're seeing people use that term that didn't use it before. We're seeing people say, oh, that's me. Uh I'm a content entrepreneur. So these are things that can be done. There's a methodology behind it, but yeah, it's just, I feel so sad when I talk to entrepreneurs that are doing this and they start a podcast like, oh yeah, I'm starting, we're starting a podcast about supply chain technology, which you might think, oh, wow. Yeah. That's differentiated until you really go into it and find there's already a hundred podcasts on supply chain technology. (laughs) So what is yours? Maybe you're, maybe it's, RFID and NFT usage. I mean, that's like, whoa, what is that? That's something new. Nobody's talking about that. So just take the next step. Nice. So we have step one, the sweet spot, finding your sweet spot that you're passionate about and what there, where there's an audience for. Then step two, content tilt, where you're blending those uh, two things to 
to be very unique in the marketplace, right? Mm -hmm. And then step three is the base. What's the base? The base is where you pick your platform. Okay. And this is again, where I would say a lot of content marketers go wrong, especially in bigger businesses where they feel they have to be everywhere their audience is at online. Mm -hmm. And I feel really bad, Chris, because I said in my book, in my book it, it get contact at customers in 2008, I said, be everywhere your customers are at online, <laughs> which by the way, was easier. Was really just, it was, it was, it was basically your blog, your website, Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, and that then. was pretty much it. Yeah. Well, you can't do that anymore. You can't do that efficiently. Right. And, um, so basically you only, you have a limited amount of what I call content energy. And in order to break through all the clutter, we talked about this content tilt, you have to focus on being great at one platform. Yeah. So this is where you see people are, they're not content creators, they're YouTubers, they're podcasters, mm -hmm. they're Twitch streamers. Fo you focus on one channel. I don't mean that you can't use other channels to promote that. Right. So if the tilts main, ours is email, that's our main platform that we're building an email newsletter. It, we still use Twitter mm -hmm. uh, to, to support, you know, we're trying to build an audience on Twitter there, but really we're driving that back to email because that's our core platform. That's what we can be great at. That's what we're focused on. So that's where the building the base is figuring out what you are going, where you're going to tell your story and then consistently delivering it over a longer period of time yeah. so that, you know, this is a nine to 12 month period of the cycle where you have to deliver consistently. And when I say consistently, so if you are a weekly podcaster, then you deliver at the same time, same day, every week, mm -hmm. if it's daily, if it's uh, so if you're doing um, uh, an email newsletter it, and it's every other week, you send it at the same time, every other week, yeah. if you are, um, if you're on TikTok and you're doing dailies, don't miss a day. Yeah. Right. You you have to commit to that or it's not going to work. This is a promise that you're setting up with your audience. And when you break that promise, you might never get that audience back. Mm. So YouTube is the same way. So you and you have it's to. True. So that's what we found in every case study. We looked at hundreds of case studies in the content Inc. book and everyone delivers consistently almost to the minute every day, every week, every month. And then they build that audience over time. So as a fellow podcaster, um, you know, this is, is a good question for you. I feel, um, I feel like now that as podcasters and if podcasting is your primary platform that you have to include YouTube in the array of Google, Spotify and Apple podcasts nowadays, which then puts on another job of doing, doing it on camera. Um, I'm curious about your thoughts about that, because then you kind of become not only just a podcaster, but a YouTuber at the same time. What do you, what do you think about that? So there's a couple, it's a great question. There's a couple things. First of all, YouTube is absolutely a major podcast distribution outlet. Mm -hmm. I believe I saw a stat the other day that said, uh, this something like the second most or the most podcasts are listened to on YouTube. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, yeah. are you kidding me? Yeah. So a lot of people don't realize that. So you could, uh, and I do with my content Inc. podcast, I just, not so not very well, I just distribute the feed directly to YouTube. Yeah. So great, you can do that. It's a it's the minimum thing you could do. Mm -hmm. It's You're not doing any extra work. So you're saying, okay, how do I take that up a notch? And this is probably what you want to get into mm -hmm. where you're saying, okay, well, I, I should do talking head or I should do pictures or I should do, you know, make a production out of it. 
that's something that I think that you can get to a little bit later. Okay. If you wanted to, yeah. I don't think you have to immediately do it. So if somebody's, it's already probably daunting enough to start a podcast. Mm-hmm. So, because as you know, if you, you know, you and I listen to our, you know, podcast one to podcast a hundred, mm-hmm. we shake our head and say, man, I was terrible. Like, <laughs> what was I, what was I thinking? Yeah. Right now. Cause I'm on podcast. I don't know. 290 uh-huh. on one and 270 on the other one. So you've got 500, 600 under your belt. Uh-huh. You get a little bit better at this thing. And then you get more comfortable and say, okay, well, how do I take this to the next level? Then you can really add in YouTube. Yeah. But at minimum, I would use it as a distribution outlet. And you can do that with your hosting provider. Yeah, it's a good point. Okay, so that's number three, the base. Uh, what platform you're going to pick? Number four is audience building. Tell us about that. So this is really what you want to do. And people still either don't like to hear this or don't want to believe it. (laughs) Your number one asset that you're going to build as a content entrepreneur is your email database. Okay. Uh, This is the only thing that you have ultimate control over. You can build all the YouTube subscribers in the world or all the uh, Facebook fans in the world or all the Twitter followers and uh, the algorithms up to them. Uh, They could block you at any time. We don't know where those, you know, you don't have any say in the decisions over what those companies do. Doesn't mean you can't leverage them. Mm -hmm. You do. What you want to do is you want to build some kind of email offering. So that's where we try to build our own audience, our control, mostly controlled audience and revert that back. So if we use in the book where, you know, Smosh back in the day, they were the big YouTubers. They were gaining traction when they said, okay, we want to ultimately have an exit here. They started to think about, okay, I want to move my subscribers on YouTube up the subscriber hierarchy and drive some kind of email offering. Mm-hmm. So this is what you see. Most of the YouTubers, the podcasters, uh, Twitch streamers, they have some kind of unique offering in email that you can only get an email so you can build that email list. So for, I'll give you the example for Content Marketing Institute. So we started out with a blog mm-hmm. and I can't believe the first year we didn't have any kind of email offering. I just shake my head at all the email subscribers that we lost because we just didn't have anything available. So we started generating the blog, then said, okay, now we're going to create this weekly email. We're going to give them something exclusive, which you have to deliver something, some kind of exclusivity, some kind of new different experience through that email Mm -hmm. and then get them to sign up. And then once we got to about 10,000 email subscribers, then we started to monetize that. And now today, you know, we don't own it anymore, but CMI has 220, 230,000 email subscribers. That's the engine that drives everything. Yeah. And that's what you find out so late in the process where we're trying to talk to content entrepreneurs mm. that everything is driven. If you look at the greatest media companies on the planet, look at Financial Times, look at BuzzFeed, Huffington Post, New York Times, whatever. Look at what drives it. everything is driven by email, having that email address. Now, could that change in a year? Sure. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's been going pretty strong for 20 years now. Yeah. I don't, I feel that's still going to be a thing. I don't know what's happening with texting, SMS, how that's going, that could play a role. But right now it seems like people are willing to exchange value, their email address for some kind of free, amazing offering. And then that getting that email address that gives you the opportunity to monetize six, seven different ways. Yeah. So really you have get, you've got another nine month, 12 month period where you're focused on, I'm going to use maybe Facebook or Instagram or YouTube or my podcast or whatever your 
platforms are that you're using mm-hmm. and try to drive that into some kind of email subscription offer. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And, and also you brought up texting. Um, there's, um, a couple entrepreneurs here in Austin and their goal, they throw live events for entrepreneurs, kind of social events. Their goal is to, the primary goal is to get the phone number. So then they text and we're talking about a crowd of people in their late twenties, thirties, and maybe early forties. That's their niche. Um, and so they want to send a text every time they have an event and say, click here, buy a ticket. And, and it's working really well. So. Um, you know, phone number is definitely second to email, I think in today's world, especially with the younger generations, because they're all on their phones and they they see that pop up and it's like, Oh, new message from Chris or Joe and they're Chris and Joe are doing this. And yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, you're right. I've been looking at it. We've, I've seen some good examples out there. It's sort of at the top of this, I call it the subscriber hierarchy where basically Uh Facebook is at the bottom where you have no control and, and base and your organic reaches less than one percent and you go all the way up at the top Mm. i think you there's something with the smartphone there's definitely email and you've got membership communities where obviously there's an email primary key for your database so if you have different if you have some own uh, membership property a training property those types of things where you're getting uh, opt-in email permission those are also at the top yeah. So those are the things that I'm thinking about ultimately that you want to consider as a content entrepreneur. I, I like that. You called that the platform hierarchy. Is that what you said? Or subscriber hierarchy. Subscriber call, hierarchy. And, it's in, and it's in the book. Basically, it mm-hmm. starts at the bottom. You have all the social media channels at the bottom where you're like, oh, okay, well, you've got Facebook and YouTube where they could subscribe or follow you and you doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. Right. <laughs> it, like <Right. laughs> YouTube can show it or not show it, or they can kick you off the platform or they can keep you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. So that's where I'm, it's like this, this pull between reach and control. Yeah. Like you can get a lot of reach on these channels, but at the end of the day, you've got no control. Mm. So you, and then if you look at email, you've got no to starting, you've got no reach. Right. You're creating, that's your own channel, uh, but you've got hundred percent control. Right. So you want to figure out how you move reach over to control. And if you get control and reach, call your shot. Uh-huh. You're, you're a multi-million dollar media company then. Yeah. So that's that's what's amazing about this. Love it. I love that. Okay. So that was number four, audience building. Um, and we're on to number five. Once we have an audience, we're yep. going to monetize revenue. Yeah. You got your Number five is revenue. The all important thing. Um, we just did uh, our tilt study of the, the state of the content entrepreneur. And we looked at how long does it take from zero to get to first dollar mm-hmm. and it's nine months. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, some people would say, oh, that's not bad. And some people say that's horrible. I think it needs to be much less than nine months because you'll lose so many people. We have to get, I call it survival monetization. Okay. You have to get to revenue as quickly as possible because you've got to pay the bills. Okay. Like you have to live your life and you're, you're not just, maybe there's a lot of privileged people out there and I'm one of them that I was able to use savings and I was able to use credit cards while we got the business going and I didn't have to drive to profitability right away because it took us about two, two and a half years to get to profitability. Okay. A lot of people can't afford that. So you got to get to survival monetization. That might be sponsorship packages. That might be donation plans. Uh, that might be, you're going to do a mini event, a mini conference, a virtual event, a webinar series. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you're going to do a lot of stuff, like a lot of sub stack writers. They'll do paid subscription, uh, maybe you'll do an affiliate model. So what we want to do at this level is get to one. 
mm-hmm. get to some kind of revenue. When you get to be a mature content entrepreneur, so if I look out from where CMI started in 2007 to let's say 2015, so by 2015 we were driving eight, nine, ten different uh, revenue options. Right. So that's where you get to diversification. But right. from from right off the bat, you got to start somewhere. And we started with a sponsorship program. Mm-hmm. We're like, okay, we're building some good relationships. We only have about ten thousand in our audience. What can we do? And I said, well, we can ab- absolutely go out and grab sponsors. And we said, okay, let's. We did. We called it a limited um, inventory benefactor model, mm-hmm. which is basically we only said there's going to be five sponsors, and we're going to make it a little bit more expensive and exclusive for these five sponsors. And we're going to charge them $15,000 a year to do it. But that $15,000 a year that we were able to close from those five sponsors enabled us to keep going. Mm-hmm. Nice. And, and that then led into ultimately us launching content marketing world, which was almost a million dollar event in 2011, but we wouldn't have gotten to that point unless we launched the benefactor program to keep the lights on. Yeah. So these are the things you have to think about. Absolutely. Um, any new creative uh, ways to monetize that you've seen, just say since you know past year and a half, that uh, are kind of inspiring or surprising to you? There's all kinds of work in this area, and a lot of it I don't understand that I'm trying to. You talked about cryptocurrency and NFTs. Mm-hmm. We have our own uh, creator coin, social token, called okay. TiltCoin. Uh, we launched ours in March, and basically we've set up membership and different tiers through our coin that on our discord channel so that if you have five tilt coin you get into your own little group on community on our discord channel where you know if we do really well as a coin and more people buy it than not we can actually um redeem that coin and use it as a revenue option we have not i don't plan on doing that anytime soon i want to keep the value in the coin but the fact that there is a cryptocurrency that a that a uh content entrepreneur could launch is a whole new thing in the last year. Yeah. It didn't even exist a year ago. Yeah. So these are the things that we could do. Uh, you could launch your content as a non-fungible token, an NFT, a one-of-a-kind offering, and you could sell it on the blockchain if you wish to do that. So mm-hmm. that's interesting. There's these things called DAOs, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations, which we just did a story on it. I don't know a ton about it. But what you can do is instead of trying to build your own audience, you can join a collective. So you can you can contri- contribute to one community. Uh-huh. And if you contribute to particular articles, you get paid on that article. Okay. I, this is blowing my mind, Chris. Like these things it's were nice. not available at all. So these are the new things that creators have uh-huh. that they can do. And obviously you've got things like, uh, the you know, all these NCAA uh, college athletes now, they can start their, you know, TikTok channels and Instagram, and they can, they can sell sponsorships. They can sell, uh, they can do influencer arrangements, however they want to. They could do a lot of donations. You could use Patreon as a great Mm -hmm. uh, kind of donation integration where you can say, look, I'm not making any money off of this, but you, if you like what I'm doing, please support me $5 a month. Yeah. And people are doing that like their own Kickstarter program. So there's a lot of different ways to do that. I think that you have, you might have to experiment at first. I mean, obviously as a content entrepreneur, I love events. Uh I mean, it's old standby. Uh, I was talking with somebody yesterday, a content entrepreneur about launching a print magazine Yeah, because they have a lot of sponsors in their community that, still have print budgets Mm -hmm. and there's no more print 
magazines or they've gone away. Right. So they have a print budget and they're like, oh, well, we can launch a print magazine. We have the database to do that. There's no competition in the print space anymore. <laughs> Maybe there's something there. So it's there's all there's the old models. There's new models. Uh, I mean, the focus is on just becoming the leading informational expert in your niche. And then once you do that, it opens all kinds of opportunities. You, you mentioned decentralized autonomous communities. Is that what you said? D-A-O, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. Okay. And to be honest with you, Chris, I didn't even know what this term was six months I ago. I just heard of it now, yeah. yeah I didn't I didn't even know. There's a whole community around this and it's 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 come it comes really from the crypto community. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of entrepreneurs. If you read stories on the creator economy, which the creator economy is is really what we're talking about here, but it's it's heavily focused on platforms. So you'll right. see, oh, YouTube's giving away a billion dollars to their creators or TikTok's investing X amount of money in their creators. So they'll, they'll call that, oh, that's the creator economy. And you and I are part of that creator economy. Yeah. But now then you've got these things where uh, you're an, you, you are a creator, but you don't want to be part of the current centralized makeup. You don't want to be part of TikTok or part of YouTube or part of these commercial organizations. You want to be separate and you want to join with others that feel this the same thing that there's something this decentralized movement. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing, and there's like five or six really impressive sites that you can link up with and say, I'm going to join this. I believe in this community. I want to be part of that. And, and the more that you add into that community, you get paid in, paid in ether. I, you know, <laughs> you're seeing these things. It's blowing my mind. I'm like, okay, what's it's another business model for you? Have you could you name one or two that that uh, listeners could check out? for decentralized. Uh, I I cannot name the I cannot name the names right now. Okay. But I can obviously get them to you because I'm not the expert in this area, but there's a gentleman named Richard uh Patey, P A T A P A T E Y. Okay. That he just started an e-newsletter on this. He's part of our community at the Tilt. So it's P A T E Y if you search on him, mm-hmm. his newsletter he has a newsletter all about those communities, and I just subscribe to it. Is that the first rule of those communities? Is to not talk about those communities? <laughs> <laughs> no, it just sounds like actually, it sounds like know, this it's, Illuminati of like today, right? The decentralized autonomous organization. <laughs> it's it's real. It really is weird, and I you know, and of course I have to do my due diligence, and I've got to join one. Yeah, like I've got course. to figure out. You, you don't. You don't. It's it's the same thing with NFTs. When I get in an argument with somebody about oh my God, these NFTs are crazy and who would spend a million dollars for it or whatever. I already know right off the bat that they've never been a part of that process. Mm-hmm, right. Like you have to do it. You have to get your wallet, your MetaMask wallet. You have to go to OpenSea, Rarible, uh, whatever the case is. You have to look at why are CryptoPunks taking off? You know, why mm-hmm. why, is, why did Gary V launch VFriends, which he is raking it in with his NFT project, which is a three-year conference project. So there's a creator, Gary Vaynerchuk, that's done this whole thing. And if you buy buy an NFT off his platform, you not only get access to his conference for three years, Mm -hmm. uh, you get the value of that realistically could rise. So if more people, like you wanna go to first year, it's like, great, then you could sell it. And somebody wants to buy the next two years. So the, the the type of access and control and um, power over some of these assets that you have, it's it's just blowing my mind. Yeah. So anyways, if you want to check out a community, V Friends is Gary V's community that he built. 
He's done it all with NFTs. I think it's 10,255 mm -hmm. that he's created. Again, another way for a, a content creator to make money. And he wants to buy the New York Jets. Yeah. So he feels that if he does this really well, and it's going well so far, he he might be able to do it. And by he just bought a crypto punk for like $3.5 million too. So yeah, he's not hurting cash wise. It's done pretty well for him. Okay, so that was step five, revenue. And so step yeah. six is div diversify. And you make a really good example of diversification in the book. ESPN started as uh, a sports-only media channel in 1979, eventually got to the point where they could diversify, and now is one of the world's most profitable media brands uh, with revenue of $11 billion. A simpler, probably uh, more at-home example of this is Joe Rogan, um, started the Joe Rogan podcast, talked about uh, MMA or whatever whatever he wanted to talk about, comedy. And now he talk, he interviews the most some of the most impressive individuals on the planet mm -hmm. and uh, like Bernie um, uh, Bernie Sanders and Elon Musk. and uh, he can sell whatever he wants whenever he wants to. Um, he's into supplements, he's into gyms, he's into sure. um, whatever Joe feels like he's into at the yeah, moment. exactly. Um, so yeah, tell us more about diversification. So yeah, I mean, we could, we should probably talk about two ways to diversify. So once, once you build that platform and you've built what we call a minimum viable audience, it's different for everyone. For us at Content Marketing Institute, we knew that we needed to get to 10,000 opt-in subscribers to start to generate revenue. Okay. So once you do that and you start to really drive revenue in that one channel, then you figure out, okay, now I'm, now I need to diversify my offerings out. So for Content Marketing Institute, we just had a blog and email newsletter, mm -hmm. and then we started diversifying our offerings. We launched Co Chief Content Officer Magazine in January of 2011. We launched Content Marketing World, our physical event, in September of 2011. We launched This Old Marketing Podcast in 2013, and on it, we launched books and started to launch all so sorts of things. So generally, every nine mo months, once you have a platform that's really surviving and thriving, then you can start to diversify into other areas. And now, you know, we launched a training program and then uh, we launched a, a West Coast event. We launched an awards program. Mm -hmm. So these are the things that smart content entrepreneurs do. Uh, look the same way with BuzzFeed, right? BuzzFeed was just one blog they started out as, and now they've got something like 75 different newsletters yeah. that you would never think of. New York Times the same way, started as a newspaper. Now they do in-person events and they sell different products and services and they've got Wirecutter, which is a, an affiliate site. So these are the things that you start doing to diversify. This is a good three-year to four-year mark okay. where you really start to move quickly into diversification areas. You also might be looking if you got the, if you have the money to do it, you start to buy up other properties. Mm -hmm. So we like at content marketing Institute, we bought our awards program. We bought our West coast event program uh, because we didn't want to take the time to build that up organically, which takes longer. And you're seeing that happen all the time. You saw HubSpot marketing automation company by the hustle, mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, one, 1. 1.5 million, uh, you know, newsletter for entrepreneurs. So these things are happening. So you have that diversification and then you have the revenue diversification. That's the same thing where you say, okay, uh, content marketing Institute starts as sponsorship. Then we evolved into uh, event program. Then we launched into our paid training program. Um, then we launched into our awards program, whatever the case is, those are the types of things that we do. And once you get to that level, mm -hmm. 
then you can the options in front of you i mean you're 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 probably already generating millions of dollars you might be getting close to generating over a million dollars in profit uh you can do whatever you want to at the business at that moment but it's very important that a lot of people you once you get to this certain point of, oh, wait, we, we've got this audience on this channel, you want to diversify because you actually create a more loyal audience by reaching out to them different ways. Yeah. So you don't think about that. When, when we did research at CMI, we did this research in 2013-14, we found out that our best customers, the ones that spent the most with us, were subscribed to at least three things. Didn't matter which three. Okay. Just three. Okay. They read the blog. They subscribed to the newsletter. They subscribed to the magazine or the webinar series mm-hmm. or listen to the podcast. So we, so I knew that number was three. So what we try to do is get them signed up for one thing. Mm-hmm. We get them signed up for one thing. We're not going to sell them anything. We don't, all we want to do is get them signed up for the second thing. Mm-hmm. And we get them signed up for two things, then with three things. And then we're like, oh, we're, we're, we're just loving them with content right now. And we're creating a more valuable customer. Yeah. Very well put. Okay. So that's number six, diversification. And number seven, sell or go big. Let's talk about that. So this, is, this comes back to the beginning, right? What was your goal? Why is right. your, why is your, why, 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 why did you do this thing in the first place? Did you do this? And like, I wanted to stop working in 2015. Uh, it ended up being 2017 because I had an earnout with, with CMI, but you know, it, it, it worked out. Okay. Do you want an exit? Uh, do you want a lifestyle business? Uh, do you want to grow this thing into a huge enterprise? I mean, the, it's interesting if you back to HubSpot, cause we were thinking about them. So Brian Halligan and Dharma Shaw started HubSpot as entrepreneurs, they had many, many, many opportunities Mm -hmm. to sell for multiple millions of dollars. And they could sell today for billions of dollars if they decided to, but their goal was to build this and go big and build this amazing large enterprise. And now they're, I think they're worth almost 35, $40 billion. Wow. Wow. From just, yeah. From just, and they, they literally did have to say no to multi-million dollar offers (laughs) to say, go big. So you need to make these decisions. You don't want to be reactive. You want to be proactive. Right. So we go through, I go in this step, we go through, look, if you want to sell, like, you know, my wife and I did, you have to have your list. Who are you going to sell to? Who are these people? What are the companies? Who are the main contacts of those companies? Are you, um, do they know who you are mm-hmm. and how do you get to know them so that when you're ready to sell, that you already have the relationships with them. And that worked out really well for us because I didn't want to go out publicly and say, oh my God, CMI is for sale. You know, so anybody who wants to buy us, I wanted to go out to the companies that I felt would be best for us Mm -hmm. and our exit, as well as keep that brand going. So we went out to a very small list of companies and I had the individuals that I'd been building relationships with for the last 10 years Uh so that we could go ahead and do that. So this is why making your decision now, wherever you're at in the process, you got to figure out where you want to be, who you want to be, what you want to be doing in the next five years. And then you can figure out, okay, am I going to sell? Am I going to go big? Is it a lifestyle business? Am I going to give it to my kids? What are you going to do? Yeah. Okay. So in the book too, you also talk, Joe, about how zero to 5 million is very realistic in five years with this type of business. And um, 
let's talk about the time for each step. So I think the sweet spot you say it takes about two months or could take about two months for somebody to kind of hone in on. Is that right? Yeah. 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 I think that, I think that in the beginning, again, right in the beginning, you're finding your way. You're not going to have all the answers at once, but basically the first two, three months mm -hmm. you're figuring out what's your differentiation, you know, what are you really good at? So that's why, you know, when you see podcasts that just start out, the first couple episodes are different than episode 20 and 30. Yeah. Cause they figured out their hook. They figured out their audience. They figured those things out. So the first three months, absolutely. Definitely takes time to kind of hone in on the vision of what you kind of want the end result to be. Like you mentioned, start with, begin with the end in mind. Right. Exactly. And, and that's a good time for that. Then the base. So choosing one platform. So you say about 12 months focusing on one platform, right? This is the hardest part. <laughs> it can be. Because yeah. this is the part where you have to just do the work. Mm -hmm. If you have, I mean, we're in that stage right now for the tilt. We found our differentiation. We're only three months old. Mm -hmm. So for the next you know, six to nine months or so, we're just delivering on our promise. Mm -hmm. And of course, we're going to try to drive as many subscribers as we can over that time. And we have to get to 10,000 opt-in subscribers because I've said to the team that we're not going to monetize until we get to that level. Yeah. So we've got like two or 3,000 to go. Yeah. So, okay. See, these are tough decisions to make, but this is all part of the strategy. So we're just two times a week. We're just delivering amazing value, hopefully, to this audience. And we're driving subscribers and referrals and doing those things. So whatever your channel is, or is it YouTube? Is it your podcast? Just keep driving all along the way and it, it probably goes into the next step with audience building yeah all along that way you're figuring how am i going to build this audience okay so and then this is a really good time as well if you are a let's say a podcaster or a twitch streamer or whatever to figure out what your email offering is going to be mm -hmm. are you going to send some once a month out to members that mm -hmm. you send something exclusive because mm -hmm. you've got to focus on that email part you know, we, we mentioned maybe in the future it's phone or membership group, but right now email seems to be your best bet. Yeah. And sometimes I think that that step, the base step is really, it's so tempting to diversify on another platform, right? It's so tempting oh, yeah. to, if you have the podcast to, to put a lot of effort into YouTube or put a lot of effort into Facebook or the little clip arts that you're going to put up on Facebook, right? And Instagram and yeah. This, yeah. this, that's <laughs> <laughs> You've uncovered. This is probably the big challenge because when I'll go do and I'll go do an audit of a of a content entrepreneur's business, uh -huh. and I'll say, "Tell me what you're doing." They'll say, well, "I started this podcast, and now I'm doing this on Instagram, and this is my Twitter strategy, and I've got this Facebook group over here, mm -hmm. and I'm all, I've, I've started this Discord group here." And, uh, and then I've got this e-newsletter thing that I'm, that I'm doing as well. And then this influencer program over here. And I'm like, okay, you are in the building, the base phase mm -hmm. and you're doing seven, eight things. You can't be great at seven, eight things. Right. You can't be. So generally the recommendation is sadly, I'm like, you need to stop doing the Twitter thing and the Instagram thing and the discord thing and whatever for now, because you're not at that level. You've got to create the great whatever your platform is, yeah. the great podcast and make that decision. And that's where we go. And you know, when I go and used to consult with these big billion dollar brands on their content marketing groups, they would be the worst offenders because you'd go through <laughs> and they're doing a little bit of everything of course, yeah. on all these channels. And yeah. I'm like, what are, you, what are we doing here? Are you just, you're just creating a bunch of mediocre content yeah. in every channel. You're not building an audience. 
what is this going to do? It's doing absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. So what if we just created the most amazing podcast in your industry in the world to this audience and this incredibly helpful e-newsletter e companion, mm -hmm. and then forget the seven other things that you're doing. Yeah. And that's, they never, they don't like this. They don't like to stop doing it. They, they, a lot, a lot of the ways that they should, they show success is output of content. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. Shotgun, shotgun approach, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, is it okay, Joe, to like, if you post on one channel and then you set it up so it automatically posts on a bunch of other channels, would you recommend against that or is it okay? Or what's your thoughts? I mean, it's anything's okay. I mean, you can go ahead and do it. <laughs> Are you going to get any traction? Probably not. There, Pro probably not. Point, if, you, if you're going to go into another channel, it has to be something a little bit more unique. Yeah. Now you can leverage, like I've seen some, you know, you you know the podcast game better than I do. You know some podcasters that, that will take their podcast and do some really good overview emails mm -hmm. of that. Uh, you have some podcasters that do some really good 60-second clips mm -hmm. that they might use on Instagram. Right. Great. I love those types of things because you're still promoting the, the main channel. Yeah. Um, and you're focused on that. That's just a marketing initiative using another channel to your base platform. Fair. Okay. Revenue, about six months. Uh six months in you said you recommend starting to baseline monetize after you hit your base correct well the research tells us that it's nine months to first dollar and it's okay. 18 months to first part-time help hire mm -hmm. that's what the research tells us Makes if you're sense. saying what you should do you should get the your first dollar as soon as possible right okay now that's because some people have to you have to keep the lights on here yeah. I like to set a minimum viable audience goal. So what I would do, my recommendation would be set your subscriber number. Okay. Again, so I told you the tilts is 10,000. We don't want to generate, I don't want to do anything, but focus on building audience right now. We are in the base audience building phase right now, not revenue. Mm -hmm. Once I get to 10,000, I can move into revenue. And I like that for the team. And I like that for myself, because when I get up, all I'm focused on right now is how do I get more subscribers? Right. Right. And how do I keep, get and keep subscribers? And when you keep that focus, you will hit that goal. If you start to figure out, I was like, oh my God, I'm sweating over the revenue, which you always will be. Mm -hmm. You really want to get to a point where you have some kind of asset leverage before you generate or try to generate revenue, because then you're going to have to start giving stuff away. And yeah. you, that, once you start giving stuff away, you never can stop. Yep. Uh, diversify. Don't diversify before 12 months, right? And if you've hit your minimum viable goal, then it's okay to kind of start to diversify after that. Yep. Yeah. Starting your first one. Okay. Get you, you know, you, 12 to 18 months, you're in your base, then you can start to diversify. And I would not create another channel until you get to a nine month mark, at least nine to 12 months apart. Nice. So don't go saying, oh, I'm going to do an event and a podcast in the same month, please you can't that's it's too hard to do it's too difficult to do that yeah so focus on being great each time you've got the one platform then you build the next extension then you build the next extension and on and on and on and then, then when you get to the five-year mark you probably have four or five six different extensions from your main platform yeah and then uh seller go big and uh that'll come after the 20 at least the figure 20, out 24 your goal. months F yeah Figure out, so if you're going to sell, figure out the number that you want to hit, the need, like your minimum number and figure out the year. Yeah. And yeah. these are the things that you're going to recite over, begin with the end in mind, like you talked about. You're going to look it over. You're going to put that in your goals. You're going to recite that every day and you're going to figure those things out. Or if you get to that lifestyle business, what does that mean? What mm -hmm. is a lifestyle business for you? What is the minimum revenue and profit that you have to generate 
every month. Yeah. So those are the things you want to keep in mind. I, I would think this is still a, a great model, even if it takes you 10 years to hit the 5 million. Because if you think about it, say you make 100,000 a year, you know, you're know you only going to make uh, in that 10 years, you're only going to make a million plus your expenses and taxes, yada, yada, yada. You don't have an asset after that 10 years. If you build a business model like this, even if it takes you 10 years to hit the 5 million, you're going to end up on a lot better position mm -hmm. financially and as and with the assets of an audience as well to where the rest of your working career is going to be really fruitful for yourself well you got to remember you can get to five yeah you might not want to get to five you yes. might say, what, what what does that make yeah so uh you know john lee dumas uh -huh. who is with entrepreneur on fire podcast one of the best entrepreneurship podcasts out there he has said and we talk about this in the book mm -hmm that he wants a lifestyle business. He lives in Puerto Rico. He's very happy. Yep. He's gotten that business to about two and a half million dollars a year. He's making what he wants to make and he's done. Yep. He's got four people on his team. Yes. He's happy. Yes. Uh, I know some other content entrepreneurs that are that are making and revenue like 150, 175,000 a year. They're dropping 75,000 in profit every year. They're super happy. Mm -hmm. They're working whatever they end up working 30 hours a week. They're spending time with their families. So again, there's a lot of things that go into it. Now we wanted to sell for 15 million. I knew to sell for 15 million, I had to at least get to $1.5 million in net profit ongoing right in order to sell it 10 times ebitda yeah that was our industry that would be in the event business so those are the things you have to keep in mind so that means okay well i'm gonna it's gonna have to be a you know a, about a 10 million dollar revenue generating product uh, mm -hmm. offering with our products that we have so these are the things that you can work out you can do it anytime just don't wait until the last minute because what i don't want entrepreneurs to get into is you'll start building up this amazing thing. And then people are going to reach out to you and ask to buy your business. Yeah. And you're taken aback at somebody came to me a couple of weeks ago. I said, what do I do? I'm like, you haven't thought about this before? No, I never have. Okay. Right now you need to put that offer off and you need to figure out what you want. Yeah. And you need to figure out how much you're, you think you're worth and uh, what could be next for you. If you hold off and say, no, like, what do you want to do? So it it's, it's fairly complex. You just can't wait to the last minute. Joe, if you knowing what you know now and you were starting out completely fresh as an entrepreneur in today's world, um, what platform do you think you'd choose and any any ideas on a combination of uh, content tilts um, that you think are needed out there? Well, I probably well, <laughs> I just launched, so I probably could tell you. I mean, we're email podcast, right? Uh, email podcast because it gives you the most control as creators mm -hmm. uh, and the business model. So right now, uh, and by the way, if if you look at, because I've, I've been talking about email for 10 years, I think that is the best opportunity for a platform. And then you look at Morning Brew and The Hustle and New York Times, what they're doing with their uh, e-newsletters. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, it's I can see why they're, why they're doing this. So mm -hmm. I'm probably email. Secondary is podcast podcasting there's a lot of change that's going to happen in the podcast game in the next couple of years with spotify and apple duking it out yeah and youtube involved and lots of things that are going on now um if i am in certain industries like of course if i'm in gaming i'm all over twitch if i'm in politics i'm in twitch if you're in an area where you have a lot of commentary and it's you as an individual creator commenting about things 
I love Twitch as a platform. I'm probably thinking that's, you know, in the, in the, in the next, when you're talking about the big players and big platforms, we always talk about, Oh, it's Facebook and YouTube and whatever. Twitch is going to be right at the top of that list. In my mm, opinion, in the next know. few years as a membership community, I love discord. Yeah. Discord is really more on the, on the gamer side. It's more of the Reddit crowd, if you will. Yeah. But it's starting to go mainstream and I like, I like what it can do there. Um, so I would, and then for the, for like a content tilt question, the biggest opportunity and the easiest monetization is non-consumer. It's business to business. Okay. It's if you are helping uh, some business with some knowledge. So if you're in the manufacturing industry, if you know something about the supply chain, if you know something about warehousing, if you know RFID, you know, those types of things where you're talking to businesses that need your expertise or a business leader in a business that needs your expertise, those are the easiest to monetize. Uh, because that's where the purchasing power is. And that's where you have sponsors that will pay you millions of dollars to reach that audience yeah. instead of, oh, do I, how do I get $5 for somebody to donate to my Patreon program? Not that there's anything wrong with that, because sometimes that's the way you got to go, yeah. but it is, it's just a lot easier to go B2B. So that's, that's where I would look if you're starting something new. Joe, last question before we wrap up. We always ask our guests um, uh, for some high-performance tips. And I know in your book, uh, you mentioned and you did earlier on the podcast that you're big into visualization. And I think you say in your book, focus on something for 66 days and watch it manifest or, or something like that. Um, can, you, can you describe your visualization process, uh, how you implement it, and, and why, you, why it works for you? Happy to. Yeah, I've, I've done uh, a couple of videos on this on, on re record, repeat, remove uh, the three R's if you want to check them out. So basically, the, the most important thing is I want to understand what my life's goals are. And okay. I break those goals down into different areas. So career goal, um, wealth goal, spiritual goal, philanthropic goal, family goal, mental goal. Okay. And I have generally two goals under each one of those that change ongoing. Some are long-term, some are short-term, but they usually have some kind of a number and a time limit. Like I told you that my, you know, my career wealth goal mm -hmm. was to sell CMI by 2015 for $15 million. And I reviewed that every morning and every evening. Mm -hmm. So I write that down and I actually write, I believe in the, in writing things down and I will go ahead and write it and I'll review it in the morning and the evening before I go to bed. Mm -hmm. So that make sure that I get up right and I go to bed thinking about these things as I go, the 66 days, this is not my stat, it's a stat um, that we talk about inside a couple different resources in the book, but that's how long it takes to build a habit. Okay. So let's say that you want to go be a runner. Well, if you want to be a runner, you really need this, you need to get out there and run 66 days straight and then it becomes a habit and then right. you never have to think about it and force yourself anymore. Right. So if you want to stop smoking, you have to basically go 66 days before you get to that point where you're not craving it all the time. Makes sense. So those are the, so it's the same thing. So it's the same thing with content creation. You have to get to a three month mark or so before you feel like you're in a, in a group. Yeah. So, so that's where we talk about, you have to do these things ongoing. And then you also, the last thing I would say with this, once you set these goals, you should have one or two people in your life that you share them with mm -hmm. that help keep you accountable. Um, it's just, let's say oh, I'm, I'm done drinking. I want to, I want to be healthier. 
So you probably need to have that goal, what you're going to do, and then share that with your significant other or somebody else that can say, and say, hey, this is my goal. And I need to know, you need to know, uh, I need to know, you know, yeah. you need to know that I'm going through this and you keep me accountable to this. And that's why there are communities out there for content entrepreneurs as well. It's like, hey, I want to do a weekly podcast. You need to help keep me accountable to do this every Friday morning at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time and send this thing out and do the work up front to get there. Yeah. So those are the, and I'm a real big believer in that and writing everything down. I got notebooks all over this office and I review them all, all the time. And um, I think that if you look at the most successful people in the world, they do that kind of, what's my goal? Let's read this out loud. Let's visualize what it's going to look like. Uh, this is not rocket science. You just have to do the work. Who are the people that you tell your goals to? Uh, my wife is the one person and I have a couple, depending on the goal, I have a couple friends that I will tell, but my wife knows all my goals and she keeps me, <laughs> she keeps me on the straight and narrow with these She's like, aren't you supposed to do this? Or didn't you, you know, you do that. Uh -huh. And it's, you know, sometimes it's a little bit of tough love, Yeah, but you have to. And I found out that if you set a goal and you don't tell anybody, it's a lot easier to break. hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred percent. Joe, I want to uh, thank you so much for coming back on the show again, um, sharing all your knowledge. I always love talking to you. I love consuming your content. Keep putting great content out, out there. I'm glad you're back in the business uh, for my own selfish reasons, but um, I know you're really helping entrepreneurs out there, helping the world, helping people find their dreams and follow their passions and monetize it and create uh, sustainable lifestyles behind that. So thank you so much, Joe. We really appreciate you coming back on the show chris thank you i'm honored and hopefully in a couple of years you'll have me back for, for sure for the, for the third time for sure we'll be we'll be around podcast a thousand then maybe that's uh, it maybe yeah i want to be i want to be number one thousand okay that's it. okay <laughs> um if the listeners want to learn more about what you have going on what's the best place they can do that at joe yeah, I'm at Joe Polizzi, P-U-L-I-Z-Z-I -Z -Z -I, on Twitter. If you want to just hit me up, DM me for anything. But uh, the main thing we're driving is the tilt. So I would, we'd love to have you subscribe to the tilt.com. And if you need uh, a little uh, a little insight into what we actually do, the research is absolutely free. You don't even have to sign up for anything. Go to the tilt.com slash research and you can figure out what exactly it takes to be a content entrepreneur. Nice. Um, we're going to wrap up there again, Joe. Thank you so much. Listeners, we want to thank you guys for coming in and listening to Joe a second time. And we'll wrap up and see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high performance productivity coaching and our six, seven and eight figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.